Let's start in Luke chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and then we're going to go to Acts chapter 1. I just want to read these scriptures together while we're standing. John chapter 20, and let's look at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. And try to picture this in your mind as as this is being explained by the Apostle John. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she, as she wept there, I mean, the tomb is empty and she's weeping. What a, what a paradox there. And as she, st- as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels, one at the head and one at the feet. And they <clears throat> said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Why are you, whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she doesn't recognize him. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. She turned, to say, she turned to him and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, do not hug me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Take note of that. But, I go, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this day of ascension. We can just celebrate this day together. Speak to us. And as we open your word, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. While we're in John chapter 20, we see here Mary is standing at an empty tomb. I think the empty tomb is a picture of Easter, isn't it? But here she is weeping. And she's asked twice, why are you weeping? And so Mary turns and sees the gardener, doesn't even recognize him. Can you imagine that? Here's Jesus. You've been with him for three years, but you don't recognize him. That's quite a thought. We won't go into that today, but when you think about how people do not recognize the the risen Christ, and she says, where is my Lord? And so here Jesus, here Mary is hugging Jesus when she realizes, can you imagine not seeing someone that you love that you thought was dead, and now it's alive. And what are you going to do? You are going to hug them, aren't you? You're going to hold on to them. I mean, Mary was holding on to him. This must have taken a few minutes. I mean, can you imagine the scene here? Mary is hugging Jesus, and she's not letting him go. And so when, when, Mary, when Jesus says to Mary, do not cling to me or do not hug me like this, it's not because this was taboo or that, that Jesus was untouchable in his resurrected state or that in some way Mary was going to um, defile Jesus or in some way that she was going to block him from something. Because we see in Matthew 28 and Luke 24, we see people touching Jesus, right? We see people all over, t- you know, Jesus says to Thomas, put your hand into my side and into my wounds. And that same Jesus is in the right hand of the Father today with fresh, with, with fresh wounds. If we think about that when we do communion again. Think about that, that we're communing with a freshly slain lamb that is still a human being in the heavenlies. And so Jesus here explains to Mary, do not touch me, do not hug me like this, because I have not yet ascended to my Father. 
And then he says again, I'm going to ascend to the Father. Go and tell my brothers and my sisters what's happening here. And so let's turn to Acts chapter 1, and let's look at this here uh, in verse 6. And so here they are. It's after the resurrection. Um, There are several sightings of Christ. Jesus shows up on the road to Emmaus. He's talking to the disciples. They don't recognize him either in Acts uh, in Luke 24. And then Jesus is speaking to his disciples in, Act, in John chapter 20. There is this conversation going on. Jesus is speaking, and he is, and he is beginning a teaching. There is something that's going on, and he's communicating to his disciples. And then in Acts chapter 1, there had been previous instruction by Jesus that, hey, we're going to meet at the mount. This is where I want you guys to be. I mean, if if you miss everything, this is where I'm going to be. I'm going to be at this time, at this place, at the mount. And so they had this this meeting assigned that they were going to meet at the mount. And then there they are. They're at the mount. They're waiting for Christ, with Christ. And as they go out on the way to Bethany, they stop at this mount, Mount Olives. And then Jesus begins to speak to them. And they're talking. And then this conversation comes up. And in verse 6, so when they had come together... They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you, is this the time now that you're going to like, okay, you're going to vindicate yourself. You're going to be, you're going to justify yourself. You're going to right all the wrongs against you. Jesus, this is your moment. Is this when you're going to do it? And then Jesus says to them in verse seven, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. That doesn't mean that we can't know the plan of God, but it just means that God is sovereign and he has a plan. And then he says here, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, the end of the earth. And when he had said these things in verse nine, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sights. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Can you imagine seeing, here are the disciples, the apostles. There's probably, I don't know, hundreds of people there could be there watching this scene. And they're, and he's going up, and they're just kind of staring. They're just like watching him go up, 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 up. And then he's, he disappears in a cloud, and they're just like standing there with gazing, like looking like with a state of awe. And then these two men show up in white clothes. They're like looking up too. These are angels. And they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into the heaven? Because this same man, this same man, same means this type of man, this human being is coming back just as he went up in the clouds. And that's our great hope today that Jesus Christ is coming back in the clouds. There's a few things I want to say about the ascension. And I think that the ascension can be so easily misunderstood and so easily um, missed. How important is the ascension? First of all, I just, want to, I just want to define what is the ascension. The ascension is like, well, and this is, really, this is where Christians can be today. We can be standing, looking up into the heavens, waiting, gaping, just like looking and staring. We're going to see and later on in the message, we're going to see a different kind of stare and a different kind of gazing. And here they are gazing. It's like, as I was thinking about this, what is going on in their minds? They're thinking separation. They're thinking separation. This is happening again. Jesus died, and we're separated again. I don't know if you've ever lost a loved one, or if you've ever had a breakup, or you've ever had a betrayal in your life, or you've ever had some pain in your life caused because of a departure. Now, here's Jesus. Here's Mary. 
And I like to look at Mary in, in John 20, one page earlier in your Bible. And here she is. She is heartbroken. She's lost the, woman, the man that she's loved, in, not her lover, but she's lost a man in her life, the only kind of man that was a real man in her life. He has done incredible things in her life. He has set her free from demonic captivity. Uh, she sat at his feet and listened as he's preached, as he taught. She loved this man in the, in the greatest sense of loving a man, in, a, in the greatest godly sense. And, he, and she's listening to this man, and this man means everything to her, and now she's, now she's separated from him, and she doesn't know how to reconcile this separation. And, that's when, and then she sees him, and she doesn't recognize him. She recognizes him after, she says his, after, he, after he says her name. And that's a whole message in itself right there, isn't it? And then after he says her name, she recognizes it. She, she, she doesn't recognize the figure of Christ, but she recognizes the voice. We do not see Jesus today, but we recognize the voice. We don't see him in a different situation, but we recognize the unseen voice that speaks our name in the midst of some crazy departure, some crazy difficulties that we're experiencing, and tragedy. And so we're, we're looking at, we're seeing the scene here, and then we see the disciples again. Jesus is going up, and, and they're standing, and they're gaping. It's kind of like the... It's just a, and it's a, it's a picture that I have in my mind. I remember several years ago, I enjoyed watching the Patriots, <clears throat> but I, you know, if they win or lose, it's okay. You know, don't crucify me here. <laughs> Go Texans. <laughs> but I remember at a, several years ago when I don't remember it, maybe somebody remembers when it was, but the Patriots lost to the Giants. How many remember that Super Bowl? Right. Okay. All the Pats fans raising hands. Okay. All the Giants fans were raising their hands, right? And they lost to the Giants. And I remember watching this guy. I remember my friend Brian, Brian Martinez. We're sitting in my brother's house or his house. And we're watching this game. And, you know, we're watching this game. And it's like, you know, it looks like the Pats are going to take it. You know, they're just, they're, they're, they're up. It's just going to, you know, you know how that kind of part of the game where you just, okay, we're just going to get going here. Honey, I'm on my way. This game is finishing up. And all of a sudden, and I don't remember the whole play, but all I remember is looking at the screen and there's a guy He's in the end zone. He's got a football on his helmet. Remember that? Is that, is that what went? I don't even remember the guy's name. He's it, and the game is over. And I just remember my buddy Brian Martinez. He had the Pat's hat. He had the Pat shirt. He had like Brady's, uh, you know, Brady's name on the back of the shirt. He was decked out. I mean, he was he was a Pat's fan. And I just remember his stare. He's staring at the TV set. Just this, <laughs> this all like, what just happened? We had it. It was all good, and now we just lost the game. I just remember thinking, you know, you know, they, they kept playing that scene over and over with the guy. What's the guy's name with the football on his, on his helmet? He's just standing there, and they're like, everybody's just cheering. This is the kind of stare that I think that the disciples had when they realized, okay, game over. We thought this was, we thought this was gonna like, we thought this was gonna be ending in our, in our advantage, and they're just staring. They had that blank stare of unbelief. I cannot believe this is happening again. And then we see two angels coming in and instructing about what is the ascension. And the ascension is just the ascension. And here's the thing. We, you know, we celebrate the birth. We celebrate the life of Christ. We celebrate the, we se- we celebrate the, um, uh, the death of Christ and his resurrection. But all of that would have no meaning if there was no ascension. And this is why ascension is so important. Because the ascension is like the detonator of the bomb of God in, for history of salvation. 
It's like when Jesus is rising from the, when Jesus is ascending into the heavens in Ephesians chapter 4, there is something incredible happening in the heavenlies. And he's, he's ascending and that God is pulling the trigger that God's gospel bomb is being detonated in the universe, in, in the world, and something incredible is now going to happen. That's what I want to explain here a little bit about this morning is that the ascension is what, it takes what Jesus did and just brings in so much power. Ascension is not, when we look at the ascension, and the temptation is to think, okay, proximity. Here Mary is in proximity of Christ. She was separated from Christ, now she's in proximity of Christ. Now she is, now she's clinging on to him. And Jesus says, um, don't hang on to me. Why was he saying that? Was he saying that because of some other reason that it was taboo? No. Jesus was saying that because of this reason. He was saying, Mary, <clears throat> I know you love me, and I know that you, that you are a disciple, that uh, you are clinging to me in every way, not only physically, but you're clinging to me like spiritually. You are a disciple, but you've got to let me go. You've got to let me go. Because if you don't let me go, and he's talking more about physically. He says, if you don't let me go, then my ministry and my power and what I'm going to do, what my plan for the ages is going to be so limited because it's going to be only limited to where I can physically be. Okay? I can be here or I can be in that spot. And we see this before the ascension. We see Jesus showing up at these different geogra- geographical locations. And he said, Mary, if you let me go, what will happen is, is that you will be closer to me. You'll be closer to me than you would have ever been if I had stayed. Does that make sense? If I, you let me depart, if you let this departure happen, if you let this break happen, if you let this heartbreak happen, then something will happen that the proximity, will no, you will never be separated from me again, whether you're in financial trouble or whether you're in health trouble or whether you're in jail or wherever you're, or you're being persecuted or suffering for your faith. Romans chapter 8, nothing will ever be able to separate you from my love. Why? Because the presence of Christ is now, is now manifested through the Holy Spirit. My Spirit will be in you. My Holy Spirit will be in you, will be sealing you, and will never depart. You are an envelope. Your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why a believer and a Christian could never be ever possessed by a demonic spirit. He can be influenced or oppressed, but that envelope of your physical body can never be possessed by anything else but by the, by, by, by the Spirit of God. And because my Spirit is in you, and think of this, He is closer to you today, Mary. He is closer to you, disciples, standing on the mount, than you are to yourself. Think about that for a moment. How close are we to ourselves? Well, we live with ourselves, right? We eat, we, we, we do things that maybe people don't even know about. Maybe even our mate, I don't know. Maybe we, there's thoughts that happen, or you know these, these things that go on, and nobody knows about. We are... We, there's no one closer to us than, than we are to ourselves, right? But there is. There's one that sticks closer than a brother, and that is Jesus Christ. He is closer to you and I than our doubts. He is closer to you and I than our fears. He is closer to you and I than our temptations. Somebody say, well, I got this. You know, whenever I get this, you know, I'm, a, I'm an addict. And whenever I have this compulsion or this drive, there's nothing that can stop it. I can feel it in my blood, and that actually is true. There's a chemical thing going on, and it's stimulating your system, and you feel like, man, this is in my body, and I can't get it out, but there is something closer, and that is Jesus Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, because 
Sometimes in our thoughts, in our soul life, in our thought life, we can, be, we can feel so far from ourselves. I don't know. I'm talking now on a subjective level. I don't know if you've ever felt so far from yourself, like, like I don't feel like myself. Well, that's because the soul is not as close to you as you think it is. Your spirit as a believer, your spirit, you, Christ in you, is closer to you than you are to yourself. I don't know how else to say that. But Mary is saying, Jesus is saying to Mary, if you let me go, I'm going to be closer to you than anything could ever, ever happen. And so she lets him go. The disciples let, them, let, let Jesus go. And Jesus is not ascending into the cosmos or into space. You know, as a little kid, I would look at, you know, as a little kid, I, I don't know, kids, they're a lot more critically thinking than we think they are. Yeah. They're processing things. And I remember looking at the empty tomb, and I said this last week, and I remember thinking about Jesus ascending, and all I could think of is departure. Easter meant to me departure, emptiness, or where's she? Now he's a ghost, which is just so Gnostic. He's not a person, but he's so ghostly. You know, and even, even in the old King James, it's such a poor translation, Holy Ghost. It's not, it's not a great, it's not a good translation. And so what, it, it's Holy Spirit, because he's not a ghost, he's not an impersonal detached spirit, but he's a person. Jesus is a person in us. And so when I would look at this, I would think departure, proximity issues. He is, he is not present in my life. Where is Jesus? And that was the big question of the resurrection. Where is he? Where is my Lord that you might tell me where he is that I might just take his body? Because she was connected to his body. Mary was experiencing a clingy Christianity, a, Christian, a clingy faith, and she had not been set free yet into the maturity of faith that, that happens in our life when we do like what Marty was saying, taking steps of faith into outside of our comfort zones and outside of, our, outside of our, where the town we grew up and outside of our ethnicity and our, and our, and our, um, our gravitational pull to personalities. And we step out of that. And so when we heard that, but um, Jesus is ascending. He's not ascending into space and parking at Pluto and his throne is there in Pluto with all the angels there on the, on the ninth planet or whatever you call that. Jesus is not in the heavens today because the word, Greek word here means he is in the heaven, which means this is another dimension which is not far from. It's actually close to us. It's actually closer to us than we are to ourselves. He is with us. And I wanna, I'm going to prove this to us in Acts chapter 7 in a moment. So when we look at Jesus ascending, we're not thinking departure. And this is what the disciples were thinking. They're thinking, okay, he's going. He's gone. Bye-bye. It's like someone going to the airport, putting them on the plane, and they depart. We don't see them anymore until, you know, Facebook pictures. But that's not what this is about. Jesus is saying, if you let me go, I'm going to be in a position where I'm going to be, I'm going to be not only be able to impact you in this geographical location, I'm going to be able to impact the whole world. And this is where the gospel and the Holy Spirit and the work of God is set free into this world. We understand that Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, that hand of approval. And that's where Jesus is today. And so, so what, this is the second point I want to make this morning, is that, that the ascension is about how the kingdom of God is released into this creation that we live in. It's where creation is reunited with its creator through the kingdom of heaven. The book of Acts, the book of Acts starts, when we read the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1, he's talking to this guy, Theophilus. We don't know who he is, but in the Greek it means, means lover of God. Just a lover, someone who loves God. So he's writing Luke and he's writing John 
he's writing Luke and he's writing Acts to people who are just in love with God. And he says, my first book was about the things that Jesus began to teach and to do. But the second book is going to be a continuation of not what the church is supposed to do. But the book of Acts is a continuation of what Jesus, and get this, get this, is what Jesus is going to continue to do through the church on the earth, through you and I. So it's a continuation of what God is doing. And so in Romans chapter, in Acts chapter 1, I don't know if you caught this when we were reading in Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus says in verse 6, he says, the disciples say to Jesus, so is this when you're bringing the kingdom? And Jesus says, not, it's, not, it's not me. No, it's, no, it's you, Acts 1.8. Acts 1.6, is this when you're bringing the kingdom? No, this is when, this is when the kingdom is coming in, in Acts 1.8 through you onto this. Or you shall be witnesses unto me. Do you, do you get the connection here? And so here's an example. In Ephesians 4, verse 8, we read these verses. Now, Ephesians 4 is just an amazing chapter about the, the uh, results of the ascension. In Ephesians 4, 8, it talks about how Jesus... Right, He ascended, taking captivity captive with him and giving gifts to men. This is a quotation of Psalm 68, verse 16. And I just want to, uh, verse 18. And I want to just read this verse to you. Maybe um, Amber can put, can put it up. But this is a quotation. And it, I like the, when, I, when, I go, when you go back to the Old Testament, sometimes you get more of an amplification of what the verse is. Here it says, you ascended on high. And here is David talking about, he had, David, as an Old Testament believer, had such a revelation of the Messiah, yeah. of who Jesus Christ was. He should, because now he's, because in the millennium, he's going to be seated. Uh, he's going to be, he's, he's going to be uh, a main figure there. As Psalm 68, verse 18, you ascended on high, lead, listen to this, leading a host of captives. Who are these captives? Well, there's, there's lots of teaching here, but there was, and I don't want to get too technical here, but before... When Jesus rose from the dead, there was actually two parts of what's, what was called Hades. There was a part of suffering, and then there was a part of what was called Abraham's bosom. And this is where Old Testament believers would, would hang out after they died. They would be in this place of comfort and joy and paradise. And they would wait because Jesus had not paid for sin in the flesh, and so there was no flesh in heaven yet. And so when Jesus died in the flesh in Romans 8.3, it's okay if you don't get this, he rose from the dead. Now flesh, now sinful flesh that could be redeemed and could go to heaven. And he's bringing, and he's marching all of these believers, these Old Testament, Old Testament believers, into heaven. And there's others, other ways to look at this too. He, lead, he leads captivity captive. And he brings them, and it says here, and, he, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious. You don't see this in Ephesians 4. I like this. Does God give gifts to unspiritual people? Yeah. He does. It's very possible I could be a very gifted person, but not, I could be carnal. That's a real, I mean, Bill and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Yesterday we were talking about this. And I was just thinking, it's very true. It's very possible that I could be a gifted individual, but just not even walk with God. You see it all the time. You, you hear about people that are just gifted and leading movements, and you find out some crazy thing that was going on on the back, on the, on the side among the rebellious, that the, Lord may, that the Lord God may dwell there. That's why it's important. In 1 Corinthians, I believe it's, verse, it's chapter 14, verse 1. It says in the, Greeks, in the Greek language, it says, it says uh, see, above all things seek, and it says in our King James spiritual gifts, in the Greek it's spirituality. It's about gifts, 
But in your gifting and in your, uh, in your walking in your gift, walk with God. Be a spiritually minded person. Think with God. And let's not, let's not be familiar with that. And so that, that the Lord may dwell there. What's he saying here in Ephesians 4 8 is that the ascension means that now Jesus is set free to be everywhere present through the church in his presence. That means the presence of Christ is, where is he? It's in the church. It's in the guy next to you that you don't like so much. I mean, I hope we're not having issues with marriages here. <laughs> it's the person next to you that just really bothers you sometimes. It's, it's the flesh and blood that you see every morning, you know, with your kids. You know, I don't, well, if your kid's saved, yes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, Jesus is in the body of Christ. And so the way I treat my brother is really the way I'm treating Christ. And that's why it's impossible if I don't love my brother to say that I love God. So, so Jesus is in the church. Church is worldwide. The ascensions happen. And I love what Paul says. And, and here's an example of this in Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4, okay, we read this about verse 8. For you, those that know the chapter, Jesus is talking about, okay, the resurrection, I mean the ascension, giving gifts among men. The church has now been gifted in Ephesians 4 to, to um, as we heard, uh, as we heard uh, um, Jeff say, I wouldn't say Brian, but Jeff. <laughs> and and it says, uh, it says that, that the body might be encouraged, that the, that the saints would be equipped for the ministry for the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And so what's happening here in Ephesians, 40 verse, uh, Ephesians 4, verse 20, it says this. Paul starts talking about how the Ephesians had heard, the, had heard of Christ. Now, in a lot of our English translations or different translations, there's a preposition there. You have heard about him, right? Look at it sometime in Ephesians, 40, uh, Ephesians 4, verse 20 and 21. It's because sometimes translators are putting that, proposi- that preposition in there because if they were to say exactly what the Greek says, they were thinking that people are going to get confused. So it actually should say in the original, in the English, what the original says, which says, you have heard Christ preached unto you. So that means that, that when people, when Paul came and he preached to the Ephesians, and when he had people, when people were preaching to the Ephesian church, they were not just hearing about Christ, they were hearing Christ's voice. They were hearing the same voice that Mary heard yeah. at, the, at the tomb when he was risen. It's that, that now the church is speaking the voice of God. I don't know if, if we can get this, but the ascension means that now Christ is in us, and now we are speaking. Does that mean that I'm God? No, it doesn't. It just means that I'm speaking the, the, the words of that. You are speaking the words of Christ. And so the last thing I just want to say here. It's just that the ascension means that it's now all about Jesus Christ. It's all, it's all about him. It's all about God, and it's not about anything else. What do I mean by that? Well, before the ascension, before the crucifixion and the resurrection, and then the ascension of Christ, it was all about the law of Moses, what you had to do to earn favor from God. If you do this, you get that. It was a cause and effect type of Christianity. How many of us live that way? How many of us, live, how many of us pray that way? God, if I pray enough, I'm going to get more stuff from God. Or if I do better, if I resign these kinds of habits, then I'm going to experience this kind of life. We think, under the law of Moses, a cause and effect type of Christianity. That is not the type of Christianity that God has called us into in the New Testament. This is a kind of Christianity where Christ has fulfilled 
the whole law in, in, in Romans chapter 10. The whole law has been fulfilled. That every jot and every tittle, every part of the law has been fulfilled. And that fulfilled law is in you and I, in us, named Christ. Colossians 1 verse 27. The hope of glory. That means that when you woke up this morning and you were looking at your life and you were looking at your mate or you're looking at your situation or your business or, your, or whatever is going on in your car and you're thinking, unfinished, this is an, I'm insufficient, this is not complete, we need to change our thinking because we are complete in Christ. That the law has been fulfilled. That as Marty said, that he used to think that God hated him. Oh, how opposite that, that kind of thinking is. That God does not hate us. He's not living in this anger. And he's not living like the disappointed father in us. I don't know if you've been... Some kids, when they're young, they've been forsaken by their parents. And that can just very easily create inside of us a sense of just continually needing to please people. This continual need to please people. I just want to tell you this, is that God is pleased with you and I. He is, he, is, he is content, and he looks at us, and he says, there's nothing more that I can do for you. You are complete in him. That's the way we got to think about ourselves. That's the way we got to think about our lives, that it's a finished work. And this is the gospel, that the work has been finished. I want to conclude with this, I want to conclude with this example. In Acts chapter 7, remember verse 55 and verse 56. Remember when Stephen... He's preaching. Now, Stephen wasn't some great preacher. He wasn't some church leader. He was a deacon. Deacon in the Greek, one of the, it's made up of two words, meaning diakonos, which means like the guy who's just getting really dusty. Dia means through, konos in the Greek means dust. It means that this guy was just probably the guy that was just cleaning the floors. He was probably the guy that was just coming in and nobody was here but setting up the flowers or cleaning the toilets. I mean, or he was just administering or he's writing the checks to pay the bills. So Stephen is preaching. He's preaching. And Paul is hearing this, right? Paul is hearing this message. He hears, he hears Stephen preach. And if you've, ever listened, if you've ever read through Stephen's message, it's incredible. And so Paul hears this. And then, and then Stephen, it says in, in verse 50, I want to read these verses to you, 55 and 56. Listen to Stephen's, his confession as he's being stoned because he's seeing something that can be easily missed. He says, but he, in verse 55, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. He gazed into heaven. He's being stoned right now. He's getting, he's getting hit with stones. It doesn't feel great. Bones are breaking probably. He's, he's gazing into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. <clears throat> what does that remind us of? It reminds us of the ascension, doesn't it? He's standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, he says, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, listen to what he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. He didn't say, ouch. (laughs) He said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, what does it say? He fell asleep. I want to finish with this. Is that when you and I as Christians have an understanding of the ascended view of Christ at the right hand of the Father, heavens are going to open up in our life. We're going to see something that people are missing. People are stoning him. There's anger. There's hatred. There's bitterness. There's death going on. Stephen is dying. The heavens open up, meaning the curtain of the physical world is pulled back. 
And Stephen is in the presence of the throne room of God. And he's saying, oh my God, this is incredible. Here's Jesus standing on the right hand of the Father, meaning that's approved, everything's okay. I'm being hated, I'm being killed, I'm being, I'm hurting, I'm being tortured. And yet I can say, and only the person that's had a, a, an ascended view of who Jesus Christ is can say this, Lord, forgive them. Lord, forgive them. After Jesus rises from the dead, it says that he opens their mind to the scriptures. That's what we need as a church. You know, there's hundreds of people that go to church. I'm not judging people. I'm, I could be the same. I am the same way sometimes. Go to church and it's like, hey, it's nice to be reminded about that. What's for lunch? That's not spirituality. Spirituality is when I'm like, okay, you know what? That's a truth. I've heard that truth before. I've read that verse before. But today it means something totally different than it did a week ago in my life. It means that it's brand new. There's an illumination. There is a rhema going on. There's an opening of my mind by the resurrected Christ who's teaching me. And, and, and I'm having an ascended view of who Jesus Christ is. And you know something? When I get cut off on 45 or when someone just is just, just being a total J in my life, then I can just say, you know what? If I'm looking at Christ and I'm seeing who he is on the right hand of the Father... And I can say, I can do something that I can't do in the flesh. I can say, God, just forgive them. Just forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And when he said this, he falls asleep. You know, when, when, however we die, however God chooses us to die, I don't know how that is, whether we lose our life because of persecution or we just die because of a disease or just God takes us home immediately. For the believer, we don't have to fear death because it's falling asleep. I believe that there is this amazing thing that happens that as we are approaching death's door, as we sang earlier, we see that death is, is such a lie. It's such a scam. It's just, there's nothing to fear in Hebrews chapter 2 because it's only a transition and we just fall asleep. It's like going to sleep at night, that sweet sense of just falling asleep and then waking up, okay, I'm in heaven. Not, not present in this world. I'm presence in the throne room of God. Let's have an ascended view of Christ. Let's let this change our Monday. Let's, let's look beyond. Let's not live a clingy Christianity, but let's live in the power of who Christ is present in our proximity. And when we live in that powerful understanding of our position in Christ, then when we speak to people, we're speaking Christ. Amen? Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. Yes, Lord. Lord, we praise you that we don't need to live in the fear of separation. We don't need to feel like that Jesus went to the airport and he took off to another country, to another planet. But now that Jesus is on the throne, he's in a place of power and a place of ability through us. We thank you, Lord, that you left us your spirit, which never departs from us. In Psalm 139, he says, wherever I go, your spirit is within me. Your spirit is with me. We've been in some crazy places in our life can always look up look in the word and know that Jesus is present what's ever happening in your life maybe you're you're experiencing a cycle of failure maybe try maybe tribute uh, temptation is happening in your life and you don't know maybe you're on the verge of making a bad decision I don't know what's happening in people's lives just this today just say you know what Lord I'm going to look at the ascended Christ who took captivity captive who the book of Colossians, he defeated the principalities and the powers. And he took us with him and set us in the right hand of the Father. In Ephesians chapter 1. 
19 through 22, that we are in Christ, not in our situation, not in our problems. Lord, we want to pray this morning, and maybe we could just stand together and just prepare to, to worship. Let's just stand together. And I just want to pray. Lord, maybe there's someone in the room here that needs a physical healing. Maybe there's someone here today that needs just to be delivered from depression, uh, delivered from temptation. Lord, all of us in this room are have clay feet. We are clay vessels. And Lord, we... We hunger and thirst after you. We look to you, God. Give us wisdom. Maybe somebody here today needs wisdom. Maybe someone needs some insight about the business situation. Lord, we look to you and understand, God, you're closer to us than our pain. You're closer to us than our fears. You're closer to us than our own doubts. Lord, we pray that you would quicken us by your spirit in Ephesians 4.23, the spirit of our mind, that we would understand how to think with you about the details of our life.